Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, great to be in the presence of God together, and hello to all of you who are with us watching from many different locations. We're praying for you if you are home because of uh, unfortunate positive cases or uh, contact tracing or exposure or whatever it is, uh, just glad that we can be in your living room or wherever you are today. The evangelism class excites me so much, I really, really hope that you'll pray about uh, attending that and learning and growing in that way. That's obviously an area that the church at large could grow in because the church doesn't necessarily have a great reputation with the unchurched community. So um, let us be teachable and humble and come and learn and grow. In fact, I'm so passionate about evangelism that um, when I came and preached here on August 23rd, 2015, there was a congregational vote that night uh, that you all voted on me as your new associate pastor. And before I came here, I was praying, God, what do you want me to preach on just in case these people don't like me and they don't vote for me? And I go back home. Uh, and it was evangelism. I'm that passionate about it. If I have one message for you to hear, and then you vote no for me, um, it's to go out and share your faith because this is an all-inclusive message of hope and redemption for the world. So I know now you're like already checking out of my sermon because you're online RSVPing for that class. That's good. We'll see you there. We've been, uh, and by the way, I'm preaching earlier in this service because right after this sermon, Andrea and I have to go to the airport Um, we're going to our denominations conference. It's our first denominational event in two years because everything's been canceled. So we welcome your prayers uh, for safe travel and enriching content, life-giving fellowship with ministry friends and colleagues that we haven't seen in a couple of years. So when you see us exit after this sermon, it's not because I don't want to worship with you. Um, It's because we need to get on our flight. We've been looking at the beginning of this year at the reasons for which God has pursued humanity. And two weeks ago, Dave started this conversation on on God's pursuit of us because he loves us and he wants relationship with us. And then last week, I preached on God's pursuit of us through creation and through our salvation in Christ and how both of those are entirely for his glory. And today, I'd like to talk about another reason that God pursues us. The Bible says, so that we can do good works. Ephesians 2.10 will be on the screen for you. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So let's walk through this verse a little bit at a time. It starts with, we are God's handiwork. Think workmanship, not just the effort that you see in everyday stuff, or, or, or labor, but artistic skill and fine craftsmanship. God has intimate knowledge about you because he created you. The very hairs of your head, the Bible tells us in Matthew 10, are all numbered. Some of you have multiple children. And when you go home 
you would admit that you don't always get to give each child in your family an equal amount of attention. You don't get to equally divide your attention because each day presents challenges of their own and each child is going through challenges of his or her own. And so really, as a parent, your attention is often on the child that's struggling the most, has the most questions, throwing a temper tantrum the most, right? And that doesn't make you a bad parent. It's just that's kind of what parenting is. And some of you are school teachers, and the same is true for you in the classroom. You don't get to give 20-something kids in your room the exact amount of uh, equal attention. Your attention is more for the children who have more questions or need more help or the kids that are causing the most problems. As a pastor, I can relate. There are weeks where the majority of my time is spent with people who just need help in their lives or people in our church that are causing problems. Um, (laughs) That's a good joke, but it's true. Um, So get this, when we talk about equally dividing attention as a parent, as a teacher, as a pastor, whatever. God has such intimate knowledge of you that if you were the only human right now on the face of this planet and God had no other human to think about ever, all he had to think about was you. If that were true, God would not know more about you then than he knows about you right now. If you were the only one, and there weren't billions of people to divide his attention, right? He would not know more about you then than he knows about you this very second. He is concentrated so deeply on every single one of us simultaneously, and his attention is not divided. God is that intentional. God is that loving. He's that brilliant. God is that present in each one of our lives, uniquely and individually. In the Psalms, we read that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is the most remarkable and thrilling realization that we could ever have, that we are loved and we are made and we are fashioned by the hands of God. We are his handiwork his workmanship, and we wake up every day remembering this. It should fill us with joy. It should fill us with awe. In the Christian life, I often hear people blaming sin for their problems, and certainly that's very true. Sins have consequences, right? So when we sin, uh, it creates consequences. But I, I suggest to you today that we also get in a lot of trouble in this Christian life when we just wake up failing to remember our new identity in Christ Jesus. Yes, I'm not saying sin's not a problem. Sin's a problem. But it's also a problem and it creates troubles for us when we don't live in that new identity as God's handiwork, God's workmanship, new creation in Christ, which brings us to the next part of verse 10. We're created in Christ This means that we no longer have our individual identity. We are in solidarity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You and Christ are one. Now, last week I read a couple of scriptural examples and I asked you to shout amen 
after every single one of them because as a preacher, I like people talking back to me when I preach. It also lets me know that you're listening and it might just help it sink into your heart a little bit more when you engage with me. So I'm gonna read some promises from scripture and after I read the promise and the reference, just say amen like you agree. Is everybody okay with that? We're given grace. This is what it means to be in Christ. We're given grace before the beginning of time, 2 Timothy 1. We're chosen before the creation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. We are redeemed. This isn't like, amen. <laughs> amen. Like, bring some zeal and some fervor to church with you. Amen? amen. We're redeemed and forgiven, Ephesians 1. Amen. We're justified and made righteous, 2 Corinthians 5. We're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. Our needs are met, Philippians 4. Our hearts and our minds are protected, Philippians 4. And we are given eternal life, Romans 6. This is what it means to be in Christ, created in Christ Jesus. At the National Prayer Breakfast in 1983, John Stott said these words. The most common description in the scriptures of a follower of Jesus is that he or she is a person in Christ. The expressions in Christ, in the Lord, and in him occur 164 times in the letters of Paul alone and are indispensable to an understanding of the New Testament. He says to be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ as tools are in a box or clothes are in a closet, but to be organically united to Christ as a limb is in the body or a branch is in the tree. It is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. Let me be vulnerable for a moment. I turned on the television a few days ago and I listened to a preacher tell me how to be the best version of myself. I was intrigued. So I kept listening. How do I become the best version of myself? It was disgusting. His material was appalling. Um, I have only one version of myself. Hello, I'm Adam Barnett, if we haven't met. And let me tell you what the only version I have is. It's sin and despair and depravity. I have one version of me. And I don't know if you just amend there because you agree with the point or if you amend because we know each other. My mom said amen too. I, I don't have a best version of myself. The only version I've got is sin. But I'm here today to tell you, yes, we can act responsibly. We can make healthy choices. We can have good habits. We can create healthy boundaries. Those are all good. But self-improvement, no. I only have one best version of myself, and it's when I die to self, and it's when I'm alive in Christ Jesus. That's self-improvement. So we're God's handiwork. We're created in Christ. And for what? Why? To do good works. Think for a moment about the last time that you were very irritated, very irritated, very aggravated. 
maybe angry. You had a hot temper. Something happened to me a few months ago, and trust me, I've had a hot temper since then. Uh, This is just the best example that comes to mind. Um, Our water was shut off. Andrea calls me and says, our water's been turned off. Did you pay the bill, baby? Yeah, I paid the bill. So she goes back and forth with this woman. This was after hours. There's only one woman in the office. She goes back and forth on the phone with this woman trying to get our water turned on. No luck. So I said, give me the phone number. You know, I'll take this into my own hands. I called, uh, explained why we need the water on. She says, sir, I can't turn your water on unless there's an event of an emergency. And I said, we got four children. They'd like a bath or a shower before bed. We want to cook some dinner. And she says, that doesn't sound like an emergency. I said, you don't know my kids. Why does that not sound, and I feel like it's an emergency. I just need some water. And so she says, uh, and, and then I said, hey, in good faith, you know, I've paid my bill on time every single month since we moved here in August of 2015. Can you go look that up in the system and just in good faith, uh, you know, turn my water on? She says, no, my system's down. So then I say, well, how about I email you a screenshot from my online banking that shows that I've paid it, right? I can prove it. She says, no, sir, the entire system's down. We cannot turn your water on. So... We picked up our kids later that night. It was a Wednesday, and I went up to Jenna Fell, one of our student ministry staff there in the kitchen. I said, do you have any leftover dinner because you know, we, don't, we don't have any water at the house? She says, sure, we've got you covered. She fills a bag with Taco Bueno. So I go home with this bag. Look, baby, I got Taco Bueno for dinner, and we're eating these tacos, and then it hits me. The last time I've had Taco Bueno was in college, and Bueno really messes with your stomach and we don't have toilets that can flush. We don't, I wasn't rude to the woman, by the way, but, but I had very rude thoughts. We don't instinctively, we don't instinctively respond with kindness or with patience or with gentleness or with understanding. I wasn't thinking about the fact that this woman's working after hours. She's all alone in her office. She's probably been screamed at a couple of times by other people because the system's down. I wasn't thinking about that. You know what I was thinking about? Moi, me, water. That's it. So I know you can relate to these circumstances in life that irritate you, aggravate you, frustrate you, make you as my granny says, matter in a hornet. I know we all share those things. How do we respond with goodness? How do we respond in those moments by demonstrating good works? Well, I'm going to take some pressure off of your shoulders today and tell you how. We don't. We don't respond with goodness because you and I don't have the capacity to produce goodness. Scripture tells us no one is good but God alone. 
No one is good. So this pressure can be overwhelming if we think, I've got to get up in the morning and with my own strength respond to all of the day's frustrations with goodness that originated here within me. No. Uh Uh-uh. That's not going to work. We're going to fall short every time. Think about these scenarios. Your child leaves a Lego out. You've told them, pick them up a hundred times. And then you get up the next morning and go in to get your cup of coffee and you step on an eight piece. You don't have to produce goodness for your child or your neighbor blows their leaves right over your fence. You don't have to produce goodness for your neighbor or a colleague gossips about you. You don't have to produce goodness for your colleague or you're in a hurry and a friend asks you for help. You don't have to produce goodness for your friend or you and your spouse are in a heated argument. You don't have to produce goodness for your spouse or the woman on the other line won't turn your water back on. You don't have to produce goodness. You following me here? God doesn't look down at us from his throne and say, wow, look at all those people. Look how good they are. I'm so impressed by their resume of goodness. That's not what God says. God is good. And goodness is a fruit of his Holy Spirit. So all good in us originates in God. All good in us originates in God. We don't do good works for God. God does good works through us. We are a conduit of his goodness. We are not the source of goodness. So stop exhausting yourself trying to do good for God. Let God do good through you. He pursues us because he loves us and he wants relationship with us. He pursues us through his creation and through his gift of salvation. And he pursues us to do and accomplish good works through us. And next week is going to be a real treat. Because I have some great friends who are going to join me up here to talk about how God pursues us to empower us and release us to live missionally. But before I finish today, I need to talk specifically to a certain group of people in this sanctuary today. And I don't know if it's one of you or a hundred of you. But I know it exists in this room. When I began this message, I said these two words, good works, when I read from Ephesians 2.10, and you just kind of cringed. And I want to be sensitive here, because I understand that some of you have been taught at some point in your childhood or in adulthood by a well-meaning person, a loved one, a grandparent a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a summer camp, a revival, I don't know. But some of you were taught along the way that you had to do good in order to qualify for God to love you. Or you had to be a good person in order to qualify for God's gift of salvation. And it makes sense because work, we understand work. And it says in the Bible, do good works. We understand work as a way in which we perform, right, to receive a reward. So students right here, when you work hard at school, what do you get? Good grades. When you work at your job, you receive a paycheck. When you work on your marriage, 
You remain best friends. When you work hard at the gym, your body is fit. If you work as a parent, your kids will turn out somewhat normal, hopefully. Even volunteer initiatives, right? Where you don't feel like you're getting a tangible reward placed back in your palm. You volunteer, there's still a reward. There's a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of achievement. There's the affirmation of others. They praise you for what you've done, right? This mentality can bleed into our spirituality. If I do this, God will do that. If I do this well, God will do that. I have to earn it for it to happen. I'm just here to to tell you this, and hear me loud and clear. You do not have to pile up good deeds in order to be loved by God. Your good deeds do not make you worthy of love. Your behavior does not earn your redemption in him. You cannot work hard enough, and you'll never earn it or deserve it. God's love is available to you because God loves you because he created you. God loves you because God is love, period. And he's not looking at you, waiting on you to perform in order for you to be lovable in his eyes. So hear me loud and clear as we talk about good works today. You don't do good works to be loved. You don't behave to be redeemed. So, today Christ liberates us with his word from any pride of imagining that we can save ourselves, but also from the terror of realizing that we cannot save ourselves. I'd like to finish, we were in Ephesians 2.10, now I'd like to read verses 8 and 9 for those of you who do struggle to separate performance from salvation. So if that's you today, would you stand? I'm just playing. Because I know you would stand, right? Because you'd be performing. For those of you who struggle to separate performance from salvation, let this minister to your heart today. This is 8 and 9, right before 10. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, those of you who intentionally were not listening to me because you so badly want to behave, to be loved, here it is again. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're going to respond to God's word through worship. So would you stand to your feet? And as you stand, I'd like us to read this a third time out loud together. The louder you read it, the more spiritual you, I'm just kidding. We're going to read this out loud together and let this really be the banner over us today, spiritually. Let's read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 together. Nice and loud, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen? Let's worship.
Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.